There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Gotta get Jaime. Jaime's chomping at the bit here. J-Lo. Or, or J-Lo. Halo. 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 I love that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what is this? What is this J-Lo? And I'm like, wait yeah, a second. Yeah. I get it now. <laughs> I laughed and laughed. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 75 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And as well, we have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And once again, we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hey everyone. All right, speaking of California, you heard about Glenn Fry, eh? Yeah. He was number three to go, right? No, number four. There's been quite a few, actually, because yeah. Snape died. Um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. There was David Le- Bowie, and then Lemmy. Lemmy from um, Lemmy. Motorhead. Yeah. David Bowie. Yeah. Oh, sorry, who's who'd you say? Lemmy. Lemmy Kilmaster. Bass player for Motorhead. And and, oh. and another band, uh, the Hawkwind. rock band Hawkwind. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he was he was in the big in the punk movement and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now it's only people that that I know that count. <laughs> <laughs> all right, how about Grizzly names. Adams? Don't oh yes, that that's right. Yeah, the guy that was Adams. Yeah, and didn't uh, for you Canadians, didn't Celine Dion's husband die or something like that? And that is her true. Brother, and her brother two days later. Hmm. Celine Dion's yeah. brother died. Yeah, the big C got him too. Hmm. God, mm-hmm. cancer, eh? Mm-hmm. Sucks big time. I did not hear about um, her brother. I didn't yeah. know she had a brother, but uh, she's she's from a large family, brother. large Quebec family. Uh, he was fifty nine. Fifty nine. Oh I know. God. I mean, like, Glenn Fry was 67, you know. Yeah. Uh, Alan David Rickman Bowie was 69. Was, yeah, David Bowie was still in his late 60s, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So. Hmm. Hey, that is so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really gets so. me down, man. I don't like to hear about this stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about code. I just started my job uh, yesterday. New job. Oh, which one did you get? I got the job that uh, I can't tell you the name of the client. Big company was it the in one the U.S. You wanted? It is the, the one, one I wanted. wanted. Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, didn't you see me like 
bloviating on Twitter on the weekend. I got the gig! That one? No, 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 I didn't see that at all. Yeah. Like, I all fangirled on Twitter for a little so bit. So, is, is this a like a long term thing or just it's a party? It's uh, undetermined or? yet, uh, but it could last a good long while if they like. If they like me, then I can stay for a good long time. Cool. Which would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, like when you start a new thing, and this is actually the first time in a long time that I've worked on a team. Yeah. Um, and especially a team with more senior developers than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm finding myself sitting here, like, double, second, third, fourth, fifth, guessing myself about <laughs> what to do. Yeah, no, I know the feeling. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's crippling at times. I really have to give my head a shake and just say, okay, yeah. just do what you do. For God's sakes, man, get off the... Get over are yourself. Are supportive, at least? I mean... These guys, they are so friendly. Uh, they're yeah. really good. Um, I mean, it's only been, you know, 48 hours, but... Um, oh, okay, yeah. Um, so far, so good. But, uh, yeah, I've... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think it's it's me. You know, it's just me. You know, it's imposter syndrome all over again. Yeah, yeah. We all um, suffer from it. Yeah. Except for Mark. Except for, oh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, trying to settle in right now. And it's going to be a while, I think, before I can honestly claim to feel comfortable in cool. uh, this new role. I really want it to work out, though. Cool. And that's right. one you found through that we work remotely? Or? No, it was uh, through a personal uh, oh, okay. Okay. recommendation forward thing. I don't know. Ah, uh, cool. So, um yeah, um, it's a lot of some interesting things though. Like uh, there's Swift and there's uh, lots of protocols happening. I wrote my first protocol today, which was fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk stack views? Because I'm trying to get my head around them, Tim. Oh, are you okay? Yeah, here's the thing. Like I've uh, you know stack views have been out for a while since mm-hmm. iOS nine came out, but uh, I've been using auto layout consistently right. since then. Right. And you know now UI stack view is the new hotness, and I'm seeing it here in this uh, storyboard that I've been handed and told to make work correctly and yeah. it's uh, loaded with stack views and sure. um just as when i experimented with stack views you know little secret between you and me tim don't tell anyone but Shh. yeah uh they don't work like i thought they would work you know yeah like every time yeah. i tried to yeah. do stuff with them they would misbehave and i get all frustrated yes. and i go back to auto layout yeah. which i know works there are there are some there are some uh, just a heads up on the stack views. There yeah, are heads some me bugs. Up. There are some bugs in, in Xcode where mm. you'll do everything by and you'll get it looking the way it looks, and there'll be that little yellow error in the top corner, and you'll look you look at it and you'll go, why is look, don't let your OCD get in the way and say why is that there? Because if you go into like a constant and you and you tick it one up or down, the error kind of like clears or it goes red and. Um, uh, it, it's kind. Of, it's kind of a. It's an odd thing. It's there. There are some still some um, compiler bugs. So I don't know. If the, I don't know if it's code sensor compilers, but you know, in Swift, when you get you get an error and it says there's an error way over here, but it's actually not way over there. It's right where you have your cursor. Um, there's some bad feedback in Xcode is what I'm getting at, right? So, and there are some there are some errors you'll see in the console with stack views that that aren't really errors. Well, I They're see. Just, yeah, you know it's a very complex view layout, but um, I'm seeing a lot of auto layout errors in the console when I run the, the view. Yeah. Um, so I don't so know. the thing, yeah, I mean some of some of those are some of those, yeah, some of those errors you see in, in the console they've been around since you know middle of Xcode six, I think, and and uh, we kind of just look at them and, and realize after a while if you if you Google them or whatever you'll find that most people sort of say that you can go on that error, you can land on the moon with that error, you know. Ah, uh, I don't feel good about that, Tim. I don't feel but, good. Well, I mean, it depends on depends on the error. I mean, the the thing about stack views that that I, I mean, the, when the light bulb went on for me was that you know you you lay things out in stack views, right? Like you either group them horizontally or vertically, and then you apply an auto layout to the stack view itself, right? 
Right. You so don't you, you don't apply constraints to the shit inside the stack views. Yeah, or the stuff inside. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to. I mean, that's the thing. And, but you, and then, do you but not you, have to, or do you not? You you don't generally. You, you generally you, you, or all the time. Pretty much all the time. Pretty much. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna. Don't. I don't want to get thrown into a court of law and said. But you said. Well, jeez. <laughs> no, for for the most part, you, you if you want to stack things. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's funny because this is how Mark Rubin taught me to solve a lot of layout problems back in the frames days. We would make a view and then we would put things inside the view, and then we would manage the view. Right. So in other words, we had a login screen that had to you know behave one way on on uh, iPad in landscape, for instance, and an iPad in in portrait mode. You know, Mark would very very regularly put a view in and then put all the you know buttons and labels and stuff inside that view, so that at least you can move the view around on the in on the screen and not worry about. It. That's kind of sort of the concept behind stack views, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you you put stuff in the either the either. Uh, it's it's all about the alignment. Either they're all aligned left, or they're aligned equal spacing, and then you can you can put some buffering between them. It's very similar to um, uh, UI collection view layout kind of things, right? It's like a flow layout. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, or or even just you know a little beyond be a flow layout. But yeah, exactly same sort of thing. Use either horizontal or vertical, and then you can stack. You can put stack views inside of other stack views, and then you basically set the constraints to elements, other elements on the screen, right? Yeah, this is all clear. I understand all that. Um, I'm just, you know, it's the implementation that I'm having trouble with. Yeah, like I said, well, there there are some feedback. I was doing a video series that's going to come out soon. I, you know, anyway, I used some stack views in it as part of the upgrade. And when I was going through the steps of doing it, you know, I, you know, worked it all out, wrote it all out, and, and I had this one little niggly thing, and I sort of said, okay, well, there's an example, like I said earlier before, where I had to sort of tap the constraint up or down, and it would kind of clear the error, right? But it made no sense that it didn't need to be cleared. It was like, you know, I knew logically that it, that I had done the right thing, but the, but the compiler or whatever the UI view thingy, code sensey kind of... Uh, thing was was saying that there was a, a, still a yellow error there, but it it was it was fine, right? Um, and then when I went to record the video and I did the exact same steps to build the to build the the file again while I was recording, the error didn't come up. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And and you know I, I know we talked about this on the team a few times at RayWonderlick.com that that you know we talk about that quite a bit. Sam Davies over there is one of the gurus behind Stack Views, and um, there are some some known sort of little issues hopefully that in, in the newer versions of xcode they'll they'll start to clear up but you still see that kind of thing even with auto layout at times too where yeah, everything it, everything really is correct mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your constraints but yet xcode complains about it and then you delete one constraint and then put the same constraint back in and yeah. everything's fine yeah it, well the other day i was playing around, the other day i was playing with a straight auto layout i was, I was updating <clears> a a view um like a sort of like a little notepad view in one of our apps and it had a it had a, like a skeuomorphic background image in it, and then they had like you know a text field over top and a couple of labels that sort of had some you know the title label and a feedback that had the character count for what was in the text view, you know, and a trash icon at the bottom and a, and a previous and next button. And I was laying all those things out in auto layout because you know as I go in, you know, it's an older app, and like I said before, many times on the show, whenever I go back into an old an old view, I always make sure I, I visit auto layout before I leave that view, especially when you're dealing with the new devices. Um, and 
went went in, set up all the auto layout stuff on this, and this is admittedly a, a view that we had created, you know, a couple of years ago. And then I looked fine on the screen, looked fine in the in the the preview uh, thingy. I forget what you call that. You know, the the preview in Xcode, where you can set up the different devices and, and look at them. The view debugger, I believe. View debugger, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, and then. Um, and yet, when I built it to the simulator, the skeuomorphic background, which was the first item in the document outline, right? So the first item, you know, it's it's basically from top to bottom is the order in which they, it creates the technically it's the stack, right, um, of of elements on the on, in the in the view. For some reason, it pushed that to the front. I've right? seen and that. I, and I looked at it. and yeah. I went, "Well, this is weird." So then I went back into the, into the other the view debugger mode inside of uh, Xcode the. You know, the one with the little, um, it's under the, I don't know what you call it. It's not the view debugger, but the one where you can actually look at what, it's It's like Reveal. Remember that app Reveal where you can sort of see the layers of, of elements? Use it every screen? day. Yes, yeah. but I so know the thing you're talking the, about. You go into that thing and you rotate it and you see it. And, and of course, you know, it showed that this this view is in front. And I scratched my head and I went online and I Googled around and I talked to the guys on, on the stack or the Slack couldn't figure it out and then we're just sort of like all scratching our heads and then finally i thought you know what i went back in xcode i grabbed that element i dragged it from the first position to the second position and then i put it back again and it was fine yeah wow. i've seen exactly the same thing that's just yeah. going to be an xcode bug yeah so uh, something about the the fact that i was coming into it with an older at least it was a nib file or xib file right it was an older file that I guess as it created the XML for it, something got out of whack. And it was just a matter of my going in and touching that one particular element that fixed it. That scares the hell out of me, stories like that. I really do. (laughs) (laughs) Only because it takes a lot of time. And this is the kind of, this is the kind of, you know, um, you can never, you can never plan for every, every little bug that, that uh, gets in the way. And that's, that's somebody asked me the other day, or I was on a podcast earlier today or, or last week, and it was just came out today. And I was asked about what I thought about Swift. And I said, it wasn't Swift wasn't the problem. It wasn't Swift 1.2 to 2.0 that was the problem or going from Objective-C to Swift. It was that the environment was fighting against us. That was my biggest problem with Swift. Transition. Right. The, quote, the tooling, unquote. Yeah, Xcode and, and all the, you know, even today, like, you know, every time I every time I go in and, and work on a, a Swift file, you know, if I forget a curly brace or something like that, you'll get these odd red errors, and they're, and they're, they're nowhere near what you're trying to put in, right? Hmm. So the compiler is guessing. It's kind of like it's not a finished tool yet, not polished. Yeah. I don't know. I think that... There are still uh, holes in my understanding of Stackview. I've yeah. you know read all the documentation I can get my hands on, and it covers all the same basic stuff, like pretty much what you listed off just now. Yeah. They don't address my problems that I have with it. I'm I'm having a hard time coming up with techniques for troubleshooting problems yeah. with Stackviews, and uh, I think that's where my problem is. Um, I was just thinking as I was waiting for you to call me tonight, Tim, that um, mm-hmm. I've got the uh, WWDC video from last uh, spring summer. Yeah. Uh, where they introduced the stack view, and I'm going to watch that again after we're done here tonight. Yeah. Sort of try to see if that helps at all, because uh, this is this is just whack. Uh, I think you know. Alternatively, it was a great workshop at 360i Dev by Sam Davies, and he did a couple of things. He he gave us a it was a, it was a, you know morning from nine till noon kind of thing, right? And unfortunately, it wasn't recorded, right? Um, but um, it, he kind of went through, he gave us a refresher on auto layout and got us all up to speed back up on auto layout. And it was a working lab, so we all were all doing the exact exercises as we are going through it. Then he did stack views, and then he did something amazing. He did stack views in code, which just blew my mind, but I haven't been able to go back there since. But Yeah, actually, this project I'm working on uh, has stack views done in code. 
It's really straightforward. It's pretty simple. It's just, like, when it doesn't work, it's like, what? Um, do you know of any other resources, though? Like, anything that uh, um, to look into for this offhand? Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's been a number of talks by, by Sam, for sure, on, on this particular subject. He's talked about it. You know, I think that's pretty much a lot of his talks. He's, there's some online videos on RayRayOneLeague.com by, by Sam, and then he's done, he did a few talks around. I don't know if they've been recorded or not. Sorry, what's um, the name? Sam Davies. He used to work for Shinobi Controls. Not not the rugby player. His you no know, no his his okay. Twitter handle is I want my real name. Okay. Um. Because he can't clearly have his real name. I just got a a uh, Skype notice on my watch. That can happen. Pretty strange. You know, that can totally happen. Well, I usually put my when we're recording. I always put my uh, my phone on Do Not Disturb. So, thank you. Jaime just sent us a, a Slack or notice on on uh, Skippy Skypey. Did I say Slack? Slack? I don't even know. You don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Uh, Okay. Um, Has anybody else looked at stack views? Mark, you've looked at them a bit, right? Not really, no. No? I still support a lot of iOS 8 and older stuff, so I haven't really looked at them. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny you should mention that because Hilo put some links in here. (laughs) Indeed. So I myself have not used stack views other than, you know, a little bit of tutorial type stuff. So I've not used them in production. Uh, They are on my list um, because it's... The new hotness, and as we mentioned the last yeah. time, iOS 9, as of last week, was at 75%. Yeah. So, might as well. But, for folks who still have to support at least iOS 8, there are options for you. So, TZ Stack View and OA Stack View are third-party options that are hypothetically drop-in options to let you have the same API-level interaction cool. with Stack Views on something that's less than iOS 9. This is a bit of follow-up on what we were talking about last week because we mentioned stack views in iOS 9, and you, you had mentioned that there were some other tools. Right, and I couldn't remember the name of them offhand, and so now they're in this week's show notes. Wow. So do you know, do you know offhand whether if you, if you go down one of these routes with, with an app, um, if it would be easy enough to transition to Xcode stack views? Or? I've not tried it, so I, I will mention that TZ stack view, as of this time, claims that it does not yet support storyboards so if oh, you're not doing these in code that may be an issue for you and Small i didn't see it looks like oa stack view considering they show an interface builder example presumably handles storyboards as well oh yes. i see so tz tz stack view is only code right uh it looks like missing functionality here in OA, some things are missing in, in OA, like distribution equal spacing and equal centering, which will be tough because that's that's one yeah, of the no huge key things from Stack View, right? So, mm-hmm. I think as with any third party thing, you're really gonna have to weigh the pros and cons of this and uh, whether you want to go this route or not, right? There's there's no always kidding. some sort of trade off for the magic. Yeah, I think the Stack View came out of sort of the logic behind how to lay up stuff on a watch too. And that, that's because you know initially when you're dealing with watch, that the watch layout stuff is kind of sort of how you do stuff too, right? You either group them horizontally or vertically, left and right, down the center. Yeah, that I mean, does seem to be there. I think I mentioned this um, many many episodes ago, but uh, we're slowly getting into an area of time for iOS development where pixel precision is in the distant History. past. History, yeah. And we're really moving towards a UI system that's working uh, a whole lot more like Androids, right? So they had mm-hmm. to solve this problem from day one because Google could not control what the devices yeah. were going to be. And so I think 
when I look at stack view, I say, yeah, that's pretty much what Android does, right? You see, create these things that are horizontal lists, vertical lists, um, spacing things out evenly. Yeah. I'm, I'm this goes way back before Android, actually. This this was even in uh, Qt or, or Qt, some people call it, which was a, a, a Unix-based uh, layout uh, and GUI tool that worked with you know C++ or, or Python or whatever. Hmm. Um, that was you know that's been around for a long, long, long time. I was using it back in uh, mid two thousands, I guess. So, um, and and that was kind of the standard thing. That is, it was kind of a, a a different approach that iOS took in having, for example, say for a for a table view controller to have this delegate callback method uh, to to get all the different cells, which was which was pretty cool. Pretty cool thing. I, lo- I love the way it works, but it was very much a departure from the old way of doing things. It's kind of interesting and maybe ironic that we're now going back to sort of the more old-fashioned way. <laughs> Pendulum keeps swinging, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. These third-party implementations would really make me hesitate. I mean, TZ Stackview appears to be intended as a drop-in replacement, albeit without any kind of storyboard involvement. But I don't think OA Stackview makes any such claim. Um, once you have it, you're kind of stuck with it. It seems I would be, I would be, you know, very leery about getting involved with that. You know, auto layout works fine. <laughs> yeah. I, it really isn't going anywhere. There, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't see using a third party library just as sort of a stop gap when I can you know, do my own stop gap with auto layout. And, yeah. And, and that's not a stop that gap. I'm, auto layout is not. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, until I, until I stop supporting iOS eight, then I can start using Stack useful time, but but I can't see using a third party library just in that short time frame. No, uh, and then having to go back and and fix all the problems that come in iOS ten that you know these third party libraries don't support or whatever whatever happens. Yeah, that is that is just begging for pain. Yep. Who would want to do that? Who would beg for pain? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's good stuff. UI stack view. Yes. If you can figure it out, third parties. No. Need, well, you've got an FU, a couple of FUs here. Yeah, I did. I put, um, well, Jaime and I sort of were um, collaborating about um, about, about uh, ah, yes. content blocking. Right. And then Jaime pointed this, posted this uh, link here about advertising and malware. So this came up because um, you were trying to view something on the Forbes.com website. Yeah. And not... 20 minutes later, it seemed that this Engadget article came out that said, hey, you know, Forbes was basically just trying to put up a little wall and say, hey, you have an ad blocker mm-hmm. installed and we're not going to let you view our content, but, you know, go ahead and turn off your ad blocker and we'll let you in. Not an With unreasonable thing to do. light <laughs> experience. It's not, a, not, a, not, a, not an unreasonable thing to do. And, ju- and just to interject, so so as soon as I turned it back on again, I got fifty like ad blocky, tracky kind of things show up on on Forbes, and I, I immediately turned it back off again. And then about twenty minutes later, Jaime sent this tweet. Yeah, I mean the, the tracking you kind of expect, right? Like that's kind of a, yeah. a given. But then it turns out that there was uh, malware delivered with some of that uh, less than above board tracking stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a completely thing, different thing altogether, right? It's sort of, a, I think I had tweeted to you, it's like, just don't get into the van with candy, yeah. <laughs> right? That's what they're trying to do here. And, 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 and to be fair, it wasn't Forbes itself. It was, you know, their uh, def, um, 
they're abdicating their responsibility here for the ads. And it's like, oh, we just use this ad network. It's like, that's great. But yeah. Yeah. I, as a user, a don't care. You, you are responsible, right? Yeah. If yeah. I hire a, a cleaning agency and say, hey, I want you to clean my house. And they just say, oh, yeah, well, we just let, you know, Cousin Bob deal with that. And Cousin Bob finds all these murderers and rapists and other ne'er-do-wells and bad things happen yeah. to me. I'm going to consider them responsible, right? I really don't care what their business relationship is. That's not my job or role as a consumer. Well, even as a web host, I mean, back in about, I don't know, five or six years ago, we were using a, some sort of ad network in a couple of sites that we were running. And uh, like, they got hacked by some Eastern European group that was putting in all kinds of nastiness. And so we just basically removed the tool altogether, you know, and just stuck with Google ads or whatever. But uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And at the end of the day, like you as a consumer coming to my site, don't care how I try to deflect my responsibility. Right. At the end of the day, I'm hosting it. Right. Yeah. This is total crap. And, and content owners, um, publishers basically abdicating responsibility for this is just not going to work. And this should drive more people to use ad blockers because they clearly don't have a handle on their uh, ad networks. No, no. You know, I if mean, they're going to be this out of control. Well, and exactly. I mean, the, the part I uh, the part I resent about it the most is okay. If you're gonna, if you want, if you want me to support your 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 site, sure, I'll support it. But don't bombard me with five hundred things. Like, don't think with ad blockers we can't see what you're what you're serving up for us, right? Like, I use Ghostery on my Mac, and and that's the tool I was using at the time, right? Totally. Have at them. Yeah. So what's the other follow-up here? You've got... You, uh, you need to read this review. I read this tonight. <laughs> yeah, I just saw, just saw oh, that. God. It was pretty cool. And, and uh, um, it's a tool from, I guess, LaunchKit.io has a way of looking at uh, or pr- pr- letting you know when reviews come up on the iTunes store. But, uh, yeah, some guy, I guess, wrote a really interesting uh, review. Do you want to read it, Aaron, since you're so good at that? <laughs> okay. Um, this is this is a review left in the App Store for Prompt from uh, Panic Software. It's the SSH client uh, for iPhone and iOS. Um, so, uh, Cable Sasser posted this. A link to it. Is this where we found it? Uh, I presume. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Somebody 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 reposted it. Yeah. The headline of the review is "You need to read this review." So here's what it says: I'd rather buy a McDouble and throw it out the window than spend even 99 cents on the App Store. There's no logic, but I just don't like to spend money on apps. Seven ninety nine was outrageous to me even to consider buying anything, which I understand makes no sense. So I pirated this app on Cydia for a good couple months before realizing this app is a steal at $8. Stop looking around for something better. Server Auditor is really good too, but this app allows you to root into your iPhone if you're jailbroken. And for anyone that is, you know all the terminal apps on Cydia are worthless. Do yourself a favor and buy this app. Skip lunch today if you need the money. <laughs> wow. I, I kind of. So in other I words, you get what you pay for, huh? It's almost as if, Mark. It is almost yeah. as if. Yeah. So that's that. That was funny. That link will be in the show notes, I'm sure, right, Tim? If in case you want to mm-hmm. print that mm-hmm. out and frame it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of of prices on on the App Store, uh, what do you guys think about the fact that App Store prices in Canada will be going up considerably? Is it considerably? Well, it's you know, it's yeah, it's. Can we quantify like, considerably? Yeah. What is it? We don't really know what it is, but I mean, well, I mean, we're, what, uh, the Canadian dollar is like 40 cents uh, on the American or something like that right now? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> 70-something cents U.S. or whatever? 69 cents, according to Google. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Tier 1 pricing, which is a 99-cent app, will, will now be $1.39 in Canada. It, mm-hmm. it is, as of this moment, $1.19. 
So you know what I, you know what I was, I was talking to somebody about this today, and um, they were saying that you can buy a car. Like car prices haven't gone up to reflect. I hope car car dealers aren't listening to the show, but car prices haven't gone up to reflect the difference. It's cheaper to buy a car in Canada today than it is to buy one in Buffalo. Hmm. And you know the price, the difference in uh, like the. Uh, I mean, I, you wonder like, are they going to increase the increase the price of the iPads at Apple Store now? And you know they have or, been, yeah, they've been. But I mean, they, they're 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 premium, like they're they're where we were like a month ago. But it's even gone down further than than that in the last month, right? So yeah, historically, Apple changes their prices due to currency fluctuations. You know, on a on a much uh, less regular schedule than yeah. like say yeah. the fluctuation of the currency rate themselves, right? Yeah. Um, they might. They probably won't do it mid-cycle. Like they would do it when a new model comes out, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking. Well, I mean, it, that was one of the things when, when Steve was still around. You know, if he said an uh, an iMac was you know nine hundred ninety nine dollars, it was that in Canada and the U.S. Right. Uh, uh, he might. They might add fifty bucks for import or whatever. But they always. It was always sort of. Very similar. I think when the when the iMac first came out, it was it was they were losing money on in Canada on them. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'm sure somebody could look that up for us. I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm not so sure about e- that one. Explain how this works to me. So I, I can see how, as a consumer, this is bad for you in Canada, but as a developer, it's actually good for you in Canada. Right? Oh my how God, Mark! It is so good for me right now. It is so good for me right oh, now because you're being paid in American dollars, right? I now. am. Yeah. So that's yes, right. And it is exactly. it is glorious. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're working for an American company, but if you're working for a Canadian company, then it's not the same thing. Or if you're selling a, an app on the App Store, it's still ninety nine. Oh, I guess you're right. It's, yeah, it's ninety nine cents U.S. Right? Yeah. So you get yeah. more money. And now any apps you sell in Canada, you'll get more money for those too. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Whereas for us, I don't think it makes any difference. Well, so for us, if if I sold an app in Canada, I was actually getting less money because uh, because of the exchange. But now I'll be getting a little bit more out of that sale in Canada. So this is good for developers, it seems to me. Yeah, I thought, well, I for, for Canadian developers, for you guys, it's still 99 cents. Whether If you if a Canadian buys your app, you're still only getting ni- the equivalent of 99 cents, right? Like for Aaron and I, who do, I do some work and get paid in U.S. dollars. That It's like a bonus, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yes. I, wasn't, but I wasn't getting the equivalent of 99 cents before because, oh, say, an app sells for 99 cents or... Canada, Canadian, yeah. There's a conversion to American dollars that was making that 99 cents or, you know, 70% of 99 cents, whatever. Yeah. That The conversion, the exchange conversion, made that value in actual U.S. dollars that I got much lower. Mm. So now that they're raising the price in Canada, I'll get a little bit more closer to what I might have been getting before. Yeah, yeah. This This is good for developers, it seems to me. I don't mm. see any downside for developers. Yeah, you're right. It's, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just that it's just that I think it's it's a market perception kind of thing. But then again, it's sort of what we said. Like this guy sort of said he'd rather buy a hamburger and throw it out the window, you know, not even eat it. Well, yeah, that's cents. a di- that's a whole different issue. It, 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 I mean, it's psychological. I mean, the reason why ninety nine cents exists as, as as a price, it's an old the old trick. In Walmart, ninety nine cents is ninety seven cents, right? But um, it's because it's less than a dollar. In your your mind, you're going, oh, it's less than a, your, your mind doesn't think it's a dollar. Your mind thinks it's less than a dollar, right? So as soon as you bring put the price up to one twenty nine or one thirty nine, all of a sudden it doesn't seem like a deal. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, fair enough. So the the number of sales in Canada might go down because this is is that's what you're what you're saying in, in uh, the Canadian cool. market. Sure, in but Canadian like market, like yeah. like my app. If you go to look at my app on the American App Store, you're it's still going to cost you ninety nine or dollar ninety nine or whatever set price is set right. at, right? Right, right, right. But to the Canadians buying your app, for instance, they'll 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 see it at you know one one thirty nine yep. now, right? So. Yep. And you're right that that sort of that perception of hey I'm paying more money that you know I mean I, I can't believe we're still arguing about 99 cent apps you know that's, <laughs> that's, that's the problem with this whole this whole thing I mean yeah it's kind of hard to get excited about the price increase when you're talking about a, a number that's already way too low yeah so I'm not I'm honestly not too concerned about this and it certainly isn't going to make any difference in the kind of uh, revenues I'm generating. Yeah, I mean, when the, when the email came, when the email came the other day, I don't think I even read it. I just sort of said, "Oh, price is going to go up. Canada's listed first. Okay, next." And I, I didn't finish reading the, the email because, you're like you said, Mark, it really doesn't matter. You know, um, it's that's that's this to us. It's the state of the economy is what that that just reflects on us, right? As I, there was a post that I put up on, uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but I was reading the other day that the price of a barrel of oil, the price of the barrel itself is more than the oil that's inside. What? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound right. Oil only, price the, falls below $28 a barrel, less than cost of an actual barrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the lid was like, you know, 30 or $40, right? So... Okay. <laughs> was, I think was, I think ninety nine dollars was the price of the bo- price of the barrel. Yeah, it was in it was in the uh, Toronto Star as well. Yeah. Aaron. But it's kind yeah. of a it's kind of a uh, disingenuous point, right? Because <laughs> you don't buy a barrel and then throw it away and never use no. it again, right? You no. amortize that's, the cost of that barrel over that's true. Many 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 shipments of of oil. That's true. Do they and actually that, ship. They don't ship oil in barrels, though, do no, they? I mean, no. that's just a. Well, it's just a measure they use they in the news. Yeah. They they pump it into giant tankers and and pipelines and stuff. They don't yeah, sure. like because they you know they they generate millions of barrels per day. I mean that's the unit of measure they use yeah. to, to discuss how much these countries are are producing, and it's millions. There yeah, are not but millions. I'm sure of I'm sure at a retail <laughs> level you can buy a barrel of oil because you can buy a barrel of just about any chemical, right? But um, you know, and at the store you obviously in in Canada we buy you know liters and five liter jugs which is the equivalent of a gallon roughly um you know in, in the states they use quarts and gallons and whatever right when you go uh, to buy oil at the, at the hardware store or the the car store yes right, so but it's just i just thought it was it was funny that that the the price of the barrel notwithstanding the fact that yes you're going to use the barrel over and over again costs more than the price of the oil that's contained in it ironically okay a barrel mm-hmm. of oil you know what i'm saying yes like, semantically okay. Yes. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't ar- don't argue semantics with Aaron. That's all I know. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Jaime posted something here about. Uh, do you want to talk about UI testing, or do you want to talk about segways? Well, the UI testing thing was really more of uh, me being selfish and, and looking for some some folks who who have a bit more knowledge in this area. So. Uh, the basic idea is um, trying to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of, uh, I, I think, the standard, which is uh, Xcode UI testing, right? From, mm-hmm. um, which just came out fresh and, and spanking new in, in Xcode 7. Um, of course, before that, there were alternatives like uh, KIF is one that came to mind. I know there's a couple others that uh, try to do similar things to run your app, 
and investigate special things about it, right? Make sure that from a black box testing perspective, it's doing what it should be doing, right? You, you tap a button, a window or a view comes up, uh, and it does so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd actually put this question out to a uh, friend of the show, uh, an occasional co-host, Greg Heo. Oh, yes. uh, since he is uh, Mr. Testability, uh, <laughs> at least in my mind, whether he agrees with that or not. And um, from his perspective, it seemed like um, he did, I think, have some experience with KIF, but um, as far as his testing concerns were concerned, um, the Xcode UI testing was more than enough. And mm-hmm. I think one thing we can put in the show notes is somebody who had a little bit of a different opinion. Uh, granted, there's a little bit of age on this article. It's from June 25th, so just a couple of weeks after WWDC. So I don't really know if some of these have been addressed. Uh, I think some of them probably not. Like in this mm-hmm. case, in the example, is firing up the keyboard and using um, an accent view. So changing the E to the, the various variations that have you know accent marks stress marks and i think an umlaut on there mm-hmm. and as far as i can tell i think this is still true that xcode ui testing xc test still suffers from a limitation that since it's all based on the accessibility strings and it doesn't give you like a real object it's more of a a, a proxy for a real object can't easily do things like oh grab this thing okay now that i know where i'm at grab this other thing and make sure that these two are in agreement with you know color styles and so forth is the example that he's doing here leave it out here to the panel folks um if people can give us feedback and kind of help give your opinions thoughts resources totally open to it man i wish i had something to offer you yeah for me like i um i think i used kiff a little bit or looked at it I used a different network, uh, or network, listen to me, a different framework um, for uh, another client's app. They'd already set it up, and it, um, oh, Calabash. You heard of that one? Uh, I've heard the name, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Calabash, has, it's like a web framework, and I think it's, it's really for uh, testing uh, web applications, but there's an iOS version of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the opportunity to use that in some detail. And I can tell you, Jaime, that you want to stay the hell away from it. Um, it is it is terrifying. I'm going to put a link in the show notes here. Yeah, don't use that one. So uh, other than that, though, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> the .sh's giveaway. <laughs> is there is any, really? other than the general warning of don't go there, can you say why not to go well, there? It's, you know what? It was the setup. Getting it to work was just a bear. Um, you have to put together a lot of different things. Um, and if you look at it, it's, uh, it requires a little bit of setup, um, dependencies to install it. I think it runs via Ruby. Uh, you just have to, like, install it. I'm trying to remember. This has been a while now. I see that uh, Xamarin owns it now, mm. which, uh, you know, they're a cross-platform solution, right? So, like, they're the people that develop the C-sharp development environment for building iOS apps so that you can write using C-sharp if you're a big fan of that. And also build Android apps with the same stuff. It just, I remember the configuration being an absolute bear. It's based on Cucumber. Cucumber is the web thing that I'm thinking of here, which is basically like a, um, uh, a macro language, what do they call that, that, uh, that you use to describe uh, scenarios and then um, lay out the features that you want to test. Um, as a user, I want a helpful and simple initial experience with the app. Blah, blah, blah. 
and then you have scenarios, and you write them out in text files, and then this thing reads them and then spouts the views and confirms that what appears there is what you're expecting to see. So, hmm. um, having said all that, I, I, my experience with it was not very positive. So, um, my, my advice was basically uh, go look at something else and hope that it's better than that. Uh, there's another one out there called Appium that I have not used personally myself, but I know people who have used it and are pretty happy with it. So I, I can't say anything more about it than that. Two but it's out there. Appium. Appium.io. Oh, oh, it's .io, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's based on JavaScript as opposed to uh, uh, Ruby or whatever the other one was. Oh, it uses right. Node.js. How about that? Mm-hmm. Oh. It drives iOS and Android apps using the WebDriver protocol. Yeah, that could be good for you, eh, Jaime? Potentially. I mean, the the interesting thing is that the Android side of the house kind of has a a multitude of things. I think historically, Robotium has been there for, for Android apps, and it seems like a lot of folks are moving over to Espresso, which uh-huh. um, apparently is, is a lot a lot faster because uh, apparently Robotium, when you're doing things like, let's say, network calls or anything that's uh, time-intensive, you really uh-huh. can't do anything other than, yeah, I think this will mostly take about 10 seconds, so let me just wait for 10 seconds and then check the result. So it didn't have the real nice bit of, how about you give me an event or a callback when this thing occurs? And that's Espresso's claim to fame. I think it's very similar to how XC Test added the um, was like fulfill expectation or something yeah, similar yeah. for asynchronous. Expe- yeah, expectation. Yeah, right. You create an expectation and then you and then you um, do your your um, asynchronous call and then you wait you wait for that expectation to be fulfilled and then yes or no or whatever. Rather than because if you if you don't do that, it just it comes back true or false. Doesn't it always comes back as a pass? Right. Because you know, because it returns right away while the network call or whatever it is you're trying to do is off, off running around in the background, right? So, I'll talk about that in my pick too. Actually, I was just reminded this week I watched a video by Ash Furrow. Uh, mm. He's a developer that works at Artsy, and he did like a 45 minute tour of one of their open source apps, mm. um, and it's called Elidin or something like. Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, and so he did a walkthrough because this is an open source app. All of Artsy's apps are open source. I really enjoyed this though because he was kind of walking through, you know, the, the features of this thing, and and he builds it with, you know, they've got a lot, a lot of their own tools because they they've adopted functional reactive programming. Um, and one of the things that he mentioned in this presentation was that they do UI testing. Um, I can't remember what framework they use though, but one thing he said is that they they have a screenshot of the desired screen, they run the uh, UI test, take a screenshot of the result of the UI test, and compare it pixel to pixel to the reference image. Uh-huh. And so it's it's fully automated UI testing. No no human eyeballs required. I thought that was super cool. Uh, he didn't really go into detail about that, but I could probably figure it out if you're interested. Seems like this the throughput on that could be kind of low, right? If you have to compare full screens pixel by pixel and do a lot of screens take a long time yeah i know well that's like that's true of any testing right i mean every time you make a change you got to go back and change your code and in this case take a new screenshot and yeah i I know exactly what you mean well let me back up here uh jaime how how valuable to you is ui testing compared to regular unit testing is it something you're looking to add 
Yes, it, it has its place, right? So there's there's unit testing to make sure that you know this chunk of code in isolation functions as you would expect, right? It sort of meets its own at least mini spec, right? If you had a, a function that adds two numbers together, by golly, you'd like to make sure that it actually does that in a reasonable way. Um, and then I think there's a lot of different schools of thought about what happens in between, but certainly at the very far end is the you know the thing that we has traditionally been kind of kind of lacking in the iOS uh, ecosystem, right? So we had UI automation, uh, a JavaScript-based solution that ran through instruments, so it was kind of not even running through Xcode itself, which is kind of a bummer, um, where you want to run something that essentially simulates a human tester, um, uh-huh. you know, testing things in a very, you know, more repeatably than even, you know, some of the top-notch human testers can do. And uh, testing way more variations than somebody could possibly conceivably do, right? You can spin up and do a whole bunch of parallel tests if you really wanted to. Right. Yeah, how many times has this happened to you where you te- you're testing your app manually and you test every combination of of gestures and taps that you can think of and everything works great. Then you hand it to another person and say, hey, try this out. And, and they, first they come up do. with some new yeah. combination that just crashes. Yeah. You know, it happens, happens a lot. Right? Like so every time, can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so if there's a way to, uh, you know, record every every possible sequence of steps that anyone's ever thought of, and then play them back as if they were unit tests, then that's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah, it would be. It just sounds like a lot of work, though. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't want to complain. In, yeah, I mean, well, you know, in 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 our case, you know, we have um, with two life, we have. You know, just about everybody on the team gets a, gets a build at some point, um, and they're expected to go through and try and break it as much as they can, right? And and it's a, it's surprising what we found. You know, we think works fine, and then you know, sure enough, somebody comes along and does some. Or, or lately, we've been discovering that um, we had a, we had an issue with the third party calendar tool that we were using. Um, you know, and this is another reason why we don't like third-party tools. But when iOS 8 came along, all of a sudden we couldn't scroll to the bottom of a table view, and that was like a sub-view in in one of our one of our views, and we just couldn't get to that. You'd scroll down to the last last uh, cell, and you let go, and it would spring back the same height as the navigation bar that they added in in X, in, in seven. You know, you got the 62 pixel uh, navigation bar at the top, right, or point 62 point. So we put in this fix back in in the early iOS 8 days. And then the other day I got an email from support saying, you know, hey, this we've got this issue in the, the table view in the calendar again. And I went, whoa, really? And something rang really true about that for me. So it took me a while to figure out how to go back through all the subclasses and find out where, in fact, it was. And sure enough, the patch we'd put in to fix the issue in iOS 8 was now breaking it in iOS 9. So the solution was just to take that fix out. Perfect. Yeah, but again, you know, it's but unless you have a user still running iOS eight, and then well, then yeah, they're, they're, what, what is it? Seventy five percent of the people are using iOS nine now. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> but yeah, it, some people say over eighty percent. But it's fun. But I mean, like you know, your your you know things things in iOS can break your uh, thing. You know, because you're using a deprecated call or something like that that you know doesn't that uh, is fine in eight, but then you get to nine, and all of a sudden it's a problem again, right? So. Super weird. I hear you. So that's UI testing. Yeah, I've got the uh, linked. It's, it's called Idolon. That's yeah. the artsy app, and I've got a link in the uh, document, Tim. 
mm-hmm. uh, with yes, Ash's code walkthrough. And uh, in in there, Jaime he mentions the uh, the test framework. I'm afraid I don't have it though <laughs> on hand. Cool. Great. But he does Take mention it, and he's doing it this to a room of of observers. I think there are other people at Artsy, and uh, when he mentions that, the the whole room kind of starts to murmur and he says, yeah, I know, it's pretty funky. Uh, but then doesn't say anything else about it. <laughs> uh, right. uh, so maybe what I should do is ask him on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, you also posted something here about uh, unwind segues versus delegation storyboards. Is this something you've just come across? or? Well, it was a, an interesting article that came up uh, probably in like an iOS goodies or, or iOS weekly or other similar newslettery type things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't use, or I have not used storyboards a ton in a professional setting. Um, and so I'm kind of curious for folks here, at least, uh, you know, kind of what your opinion is. So the the real gist of this article is like, hey, you know, traditionally, if you have something, let's, let's say, um, you know, some sort of modal controller that's on top of another controller, right? Some sort of deep master detail, let's say, kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you tap a done button on the topmost controller, and then you typically have written some code with a delegate callback that says, oh, hey, you know, know, did dismiss or done button was tapped and probably passes some sort of information back to the presenting. Safety coordinator or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this person was like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of boilerplate stuff, and uh, there's a lot of bits that you can do there. Um, but apparently what they thought about was like, wait a minute, the unwind segue gives uh-huh. you enough information, you know, like who the, um, you know, the, the sender is and sources and whatnot. And you can piggyback some information along with that. And they decided to use the unwind segue to say, oh, okay, well, this is coming through anyways. So in some cases, this saves me writing code, you know, setting up a whole delegate protocol just for this one interaction. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and and sort of the the nut of the article is right at the very last paragraph says compared to the delegate approach this is less code but is it any better? Uh, it needs storyboards which I know is a non-starter for some. However, not having to create the delegate protocol is a big time saver. What do you think? Do you use unwind segues? And if so, when? Yes and so no. I use them all the time. Yeah. Uh, I pre- pretty much never use the dismiss <coughs> view or or pop navigation view uh, methods ever anymore. I always use unwind segues. Um, are they any better than a delegate? Uh, I can't say they're definitively better. Uh, they they fit more into the overall scheme of things when you're using storyboards and segues a lot. Having these dismiss and pops uh, just don't feel right uh, because there was no pushes or, or presents ever you mm-hmm. know and, and right. so if you're sort of careful about balancing those things out it's it, it, it sort of fits into the overall scheme a little better um, there are some nice things about it in that you you automatically have a method I mean you have you automatically have this unwind method uh, that you can that gets called no matter what the I suppose the downside is that you have to have that method there anyway just as a placeholder signature uh, whether you use it or not so there are some weird-looking things, empty-looking methods in, in some view controllers in places. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's not a huge deal. It's just, it just looks a little odd. Um, 
actually one thing that is a little bit awkward I've found is the timing. So the unwind method always gets called before the segue actually occurs. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to do something, say, dismiss one view controller and then immediately present another one from that, you know, from the parent view controller, that's not immediately obvious how to do that because you can't, in the unwind segue, you can't, say, present another view controller because the other view controller is still showing. So you have to play some tricks of, you know, set a Boolean saying, hey, you should present this view controller and then in the view did appear or wherever you you say, oh, was that set? Okay, then present this new view controller. So there's a little bit of awkwardness to it. Uh, can't say that you don't have some of the same awkwardness with delegates. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But uh, but you're you're sort of forced. Your hand is sort of forced in this case because it's it, it always happens before the transition. For example, with a dismiss, you have a completion block, right? That right. you can call. So you can call the delegate method in the completion block of your dismiss. And so you're perfectly able to call a method that will then present a new view controller, for example. So that you have a little bit more control over the timing that way. So that's one downside. But but overall, I use them. Uh, I, I I can't say strongly one way or the other whether whether it's better. It just it's it came along for the ride with the new yeah. you know, Segway <laughs> system. Yeah, I I've, I've used them too, and I, I from my perspective just at a like a TLDR perspective, I find them less verbose than writing a delegate method. So like there, there's a lot less coding to write when you're using an unwhite segue. Uh, but but then I haven't done tried to do some of the trickery that Mark's talking about doing, you know, having something else happen other than, you know, saving to to my data source or something like that, or updating my data source when I come back from a, from another view or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I have a hard time sometimes uh, wiring up those unwind segues because of the way that they... Uh, you have to write the method signature in a particular way, right? Mm-hmm. It's unwind to, um, in order to get that to appear in the um, exit widget in the storyboard, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's sort of like, it, it's <laughs> sort of wired backwards to the way my mind is expecting this thing yeah. to work, right? Yeah, um, I get you. There were yeah. two mistakes that I used to make all the time when I first started doing it. One was forgetting it to make it an IB action. And just calling it a void when I wrote the right. the method signature, and yeah. if you don't do that, if you don't have an IB action, it won't show up in the interface builder. In yeah. Interface builder, and the other one was I'd forget to uh, have it it uh, take as an argument a, a yeah. storyboard segue. And exactly. Get that yeah. it won't show up either. God knows I've done that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every, every, it seemed like every time I was doing it, I had to look up the documentation for the thing. Yeah, um, but like anything else, you do it enough times, and then you figure it out and you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. One thing that's um. Actually, the way I like to do uh, these sorts of things uh, very often is via uh, passing a block. I would have a, um, like, say, one view controller opens up another view controller. Um, I would, at the time of opening the view controller, pass a block property to the other view controller. So that when it does its work and it's all finished, it can pass this, like, as a completion block back to the calling uh, stanza of code. Um, And there is when I would uh, run dismiss view controller with completion blocks. So if I have to do something else, then I can run that too. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of blocks as it turns out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I find it has, uh, it's, it's the, uh, the least verbose method of all these techniques, I think. Uh, so surprised he doesn't mention it in this blog post. Cause, uh, I think it is an alternative to delegation that, uh, works really well. Yeah. I wonder if there's any kind of, uh, 
retain cycle issues with that because you're you're holding a reference to your parent view controller that may or may not, well maybe it's not a problem. Bomb with yeah, as long as you're careful, you're fine. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah I've never noted that as a problem uh it's mm-hmm. been fine mm-hmm. um yeah it just to me it seems really straightforward because uh the thing I love about blocks is that you can have them all all the code that you need is in one place well we haven't talked about Whoa. The Easter egg yet. Taylor, what you... yeah I just what? noticed that <laughs> what get out of it no 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 I'm no. fairly certain this is not real and and no. maybe somebody could describe what we are looking at because this is an Tim, audio format. Well, so this guy posted a, a supposed Apple East Watch, app, sorry, Apple Watch Easter egg that says if you if you clearly if you have your um, your watch set on the Mickey Mouse uh, tap in his foot kind of uh, view, uh, it says if you haven't moved in two days, Mickey gives up, and it's got a picture of a bloated Mickey with a with a bucket of popcorn. <laughs> bucket of popcorn was a really nice touch. <laughs> Yeah, I love so, it. Yeah. so if you just leave your watch on the desk for two days, this would happen then, right? <laughs> no, I no, it, it clearly doesn't because I do that all the time, you know. So, <laughs> and I know Tammy; she, she mentioned on the show when she was here that she keeps it taped to her desk, right? So, hmm. yeah, I don't know how you build apps to it that way, but oh. maybe it's sensing your your pulse. And, oh, that's uh, true. And <laughs> if you're not true. moving, but yet you, it gets a pulse, yeah, for two days yeah. straight, then. Tim, I think you need to try that out. Don't move for two days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> I can put it on my oh, cat. God. That'll work. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, we'll put a picture on the show notes or a link to that one. Oh, so I want to ask you guys, did you hear about the stolen app? Do you have any thoughts on that? I do not know what, what is that, that is. Stolen app. There was an app called Stolen, and what it literally did, what it did... I have to be careful how I say literally around Aaron. True. Uh, what, what it did <laughs> was uh, apparently you could collect people on Twitter by by collecting their Twitter account in collect. this app. Yeah, and, and it was some sort of gaming mechanism where you got points by the number of people you collected on in the app. But it had there was some privacy issues with it. And um, a bunch of people started calling the developer on that. And recently, I think last the middle of last week, I mean, the day I found out about it was the day that the the developer on Twitter had said we have taken the app off the App Store. So I kind of wonder, I, you know, and I'm not sure how long it's been out. And I wondered, you know, sometimes you get these notices from Twitter saying that so and so has followed you, and you all of a sudden you get all these people following you for, and you're like, why is this person following me? I have no common thread between me and them like musicians follow me for some reason and i can never figure that out right um like famous musicians people i know people i've seen in concert and stuff like that and and the only thing i think of is maybe they were using an app like this right so you haven't heard anything about stolen app no i i I literally have no idea what you're talking about literally literally not literally literally don't know what you mean (laughs) what do you mean by collecting i didn't get that all yeah, right. I bet The Verge or Engadget, TechCrunch, the like, will have that. So I did hear about this one, but um, yeah, it was a thing for less than 48 hours, uh, I would guess, based on the fact that it went into my reading queue, and by the time I got to go read the article, there was an update, like, oh, taken down from the app store. I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that flame has been snuffed. Um <laughs> There was a, a lot of conversation on Twitter about folks feeling that this was a really tone-deaf sort of thing, right? Because it kind of has like a slavery sort of thing going to it, right? And, and people ownership, which is 
you know, maybe fun and grand when you're uh, like a college kid in the Bay Area or something just to pick on on folks. Um, Maybe less so when it's, you know, like think about the creepiest thing you could, right? Like old guy with like a preteen girl is like, oh, I own so-and-so. It's like, "Mm, this doesn't feel right. So it's just a a game? I mean, there's no... Right, there's there's really nothing. Yeah, there's no point. The it's like being like the four square yeah. mayor of your local coffee shop, yeah, except yeah. with people. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm looking at a at a screenshot right now where it's 46 million credits or whatever to own Justin Bieber. So I guess you just have bragging rights that you own Justin Bieber, I suppose, and it doesn't really mean anything else, right? Well, so but what they were calling it on, I put it posted a link in the show notes here. Um, that it was being called a privacy minefield, right? So it's like online trading cards, you know, when you're buying or selling virtual people, like baseball mm-hmm. cards and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So actually, it's, it's person here says sounds mega gross. The basic idea of being stolen a brand new app called from it's from Hey, which is isn't Hey the people behind um, oh that Farmville app or whatever? That same people, Zynga, yeah. It was a, it was a thing called Heyday. Uh, right. But it wasn't very successful. I don't understand this. Hmm. No, yeah, I, don't I don't get it. I don't get what this is about. So people can trade you from Twitter and write stuff on this card. It's like they can collect, like, can, they can collect the super friends, Aaron. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. <sighs> oh, whatever. Okay, good. Anyway, it's, it's gone now, right? So Yeah, good riddance. Now, yeah. I, just, I just wondered about it. Like, you know, if, if, uh, cause, mm-hmm. you know, privacy is always a hot-button topic with uh, people and... Like, I'm a little unclear how this is a privacy issue, considering that, as far as I understood, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, this was based on publicly available information. It wasn't mm. like you were tricked into signing up for something, and it wasn't like people couldn't just, you know, search on Twitter to find somebody like me, for example. Mm. I can see how there might be a business model there, but it is, uh, it is the slimmest of margins. I think you're better off buying lottery tickets in this case. So, Tim, you were on the Roundabout podcast? I was, yes. I was on last week, actually, just before we recorded our show, I was on, on the Roundabout podcast. So, All right. With Tammy? Tammy was on? Yeah, Tammy's the host of that show. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, um, and, and it's funny, we talked for like, uh, oh, a good hour and 40 minutes or something. Typical of our, our kind of, you know, conversations we have here, right? And we just went round so and round in circles, which is what they do on their podcast, so. Yeah. So, yeah, a whole big chunk of it. And it's funny because, you know, it, as we do here, when we make mistakes, we just say, I'll say that again, and we'll repeat it. Well, Tammy left all that in the show, right? Which is kind of funny. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so it kind of... Uh, I, I listened to my recording of it a couple of days ago, and, and uh, yeah, quite a bit of it landed on the cutting room floor. But you guys all got a shout-out in there, so... Awesome. Yeah. Well, I will have to check that out. I got a link there in your document now. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. All right, let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks. And I'm going to stop at Aaron, see if Aaron has a pick. I've got a pick. So this is something that I would love to see more of. Um, There was a time when designers would get down and get funky with their Photoshop and come up with concepts for user interface elements Hmm. of the stuff that we use all the time, Macs and iOS, and, you know, come up with concepts for, you know, what, what a new finder would look like or come up with, um, you know, what, what notification center and iOS should look like, um, you know, or whatever. Anyway, but that hasn't been happening in a long time. Uh, so I got really excited when somebody did this concept called Desktop Neo. 
and links in the show notes. And this is just a this guy, this designer, his name's Leonard Zaberski. And I think he's in Germany or something. I don't know. He's somewhere. He's in Europe. Pretty sure. Okay. Somewhere. Anyway, yeah. the idea is, is that he's he spent a crap ton of time and effort to come up with a completely different uh, conceptualization of the desktop, hmm. um, of a desktop operating system. And basically, it looks like the Mac, except, you know, um, changed. So he's got this uh, very long page where he lays out all his thinking about how a modern desktop operating system would look and work, um, taking advantage of uh, modern input methods like the touchpad and even eye tracking mm. and, and voice input. Uh, so there's a video. Uh, basically, that's the gateway to get into this and figure out what the heck's going on. He's got this really nice video that he's done. Um, it's about three minutes or so, and it just kind of goes through using uh, Desktop Neo, this this putative operating system. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, I don't know how uh, viable it is, but uh, there are a lot of really good ideas in there. And his, I guess what, what he's trying to do here is... Uh, is sell the idea of doing something like this and ideally getting getting developers to contribute to the project and actually make it something that you could use. Hmm. I don't know like if it's something that has to be uh like it's not got to be a its own operating system. I mean, ideally I guess it would, but that would be Apple's job, right? Right. <laughs> unless right. unless like you're making like a, a a Linux that had this kind of UI. Um I guess that's possible. But really, you know, this is probably also just a uh, a really beautiful portfolio piece for this designer looking to get work. You know, <laughs> you can right, imagine yeah. that. But uh, there's so much here; it's uh, it's a little overwhelming. So um, basically, uh, it's centered around the idea of uh, using a giant screen and having just no more than two windows um, in panel side by side um, at any given time, and you can swipe to move into a large band of windows. Um, and there are various tools and techniques for uh, moving data in between these panels and managing them as well. Different ways of managing apps, um, a global app menu, which is like a, a slide-out sidebar. Um, he's got a complete revisualization of the Finder um, as, as the Mac OS X Finder. And it's based on tags, so there's no file system per se. Everything is just tagged. <laughs> um, and there's metadata as well, and you can use voice search and uh, and tag search to dig it up. Uh, there's a whole gesture language that he's come up with to move around in the operating system. Describes tags in more detail, how search works, uh, content cards, which are the components that make up the OS. There's a lot here. And, um, yeah, he's got, like, a radial menu that comes out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, it all looks wheel. super sharp. It looks super sharp. Uh, he's obviously a very competent designer. So check it out, explore it, get excited by it. Um, I th personally think that um, it's it's sort of an idealized version of an operating system, uh, a desktop OS, but uh, I think it needs to hit the real world a little more before it be be could become viable. Um, I think he needs to keep iterating on this idea. There's, there's stuff here that uh, doesn't strike me as uh, fleshed out enough to... Right to survive in the real world where people actually use computers. He's published the, uh, the um, sketch file here so people can build yeah, on it. And that's right. Yeah. yeah, he's got a contribute page here where, yeah, exactly that. There's a sketch file of everything here. And if you're a developer and you, you got get it in your head to build something of this, um, he's like, go for it. Just do it. 
And uh, but let me know, you know, and maybe we can do something together. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all open. Cool. Yeah. So uh, very cool and uh, worth a look. Worth a look. I'd love to see more of this. You know, more um, more uh, speculation from uh, designers because um, you know there are, there are some huge, uh, almost intractable intractable problems that need to be solved from a UI perspective. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and like I think the biggest one in my mind right now, at least, is uh, the iPad. Right? Like, what does an iPad OS look like, and how does it work? You know, like what we have right now is not the answer, right? Apple may well be working on something, but boy, I think a designer who is looking to uh, to get recognized uh, would could do anything um, to make a solid proposal here and come up with something that uh, really gets people talking. And I'm surprised that there's not more of that happening. I actually do think the gesture overview is kind of interesting. I was kind of thinking about how that might work. Uh, it does seem like you're probably going to want something that's super high quality and effective, like a force touch keypad or um, touchpad. With regards to folders, what's wrong with folders? Like, let, let me just take a 30-second segue here. So one thing, so I'm a, a Gmail user, and one of the things that Gmail got absolutely wrong uh, early on was the fact that they said, oh, you don't need folders. You got tags. It's like, that's great. You know what tags are not? Hierarchical. You know what is hierarchical? Tons of things in every aspect of your life. You know, organizations, for example, are very hierarchical. Right. Right. Uh, so on and so forth. There's other things that, that, that go on, right? There's a whole, you know, field of study for ontologies and taxonomies. Um, I don't think that, that uh, folders or hierarchical structures or tags, you know, very ad hoc kind of structures are an either or. I think it's an and with. And that's actually the way I happen to use Gmail myself. I have a lot of tags, but I also have essentially, you know, hierarchical structures for major things that I need. So for designers out there who might be listening, uh, don't forget about hierarchical structure. I was going to say that back in the classic days, there was a lot of customization that people used to do to their Macs to sort of, you know, make them their own. And there were a lot of tools to override the operating system to, you know, add different features. And there were apps, the utilities that you could use to organize things and even, go, even going back to the early, early days of System 6 and System 7, but uh, it seems like there's seen a lot less of that happen in OS X um, than there was back in the day. You know. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, because, you know, people used to customize all kinds. I mean, now you just basically have a couple of themes in, in um, Xcode. Some people like to work on a dark screen, some people like to work on a white screen, but that's <laughs> about it, you know? That's true. Yeah, uh, and, but but the same metaphor that we've had. I mean, the pull down menu. I used a pull down menu on a Xerox machine three or four years before I even saw my first Mac. You know, so um, there's some stuff that we're still. You know, the mouse was invented long before the Mac as well, right? So there's lots of um, working metaphors that we still use today. Like Harmony said, folders, but a folder is just essentially a tree, right? So, or you know, and we use that in programming all the time, even though we don't call it folders, right? Yeah, well, I mean, folders are Nodes. great. I think I think people get folders more than they get tags. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, tags have been in Mac OS X for some time. Yeah. Right? And um, I don't think they've been a terribly successful feature, by and large. I certainly have never used a tag on a file, um, but it's there. I don't know how many people do. Yeah, I've used to, I've, I've used the color tags all, all along in my career, but now I've started using the textual tags as well, like, you know. Yeah. 
Like, I have an image for my avatar that I use on all my social media, and I can never find it, so I decided to put a tag called avatar in there. So whenever I'm looking to post it, I just sort of type in avatar. It's on my phone and on my, my Mac as well, and easy to find, right? So yeah. Uh-huh. Depends on how you organize things, right? Well, that's it. Everybody comes up with their own system. Yeah. Um, you know, and so any any desktop metaphor that, that gets invented has to accommodate all of these different uh, ideas on how to manage a file system. But... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it also it has to handle like from a scale perspective everything from you know people like uh, my mother uh, I hate to bring that up but she's a very <laughs> light uh, user of a computer um, you know who uses very few files and people like you know not me but other people who are you know just store everything my wife she she's actually like that she she has tons of files tons of organization mm-hmm. um, you know and the same OS has to handle both use cases and how does it do that. That's a big question. Yeah, so, and like for me, I'm, I'm a super sloppy, save it to the desktop kind of guy. I used to be, you know, all about saving stuff in folders and, you know, I mean, and when we got to OS 10, you, you don't save stuff at the root level of the drive. It's essentially, you, you save it in your documents directory. So I remember having to change my thinking that way. And now I have a tool called Hazel that just goes by and cleans up all my stuff and puts, you know, the zips in the zips and the DMGs in the DMGs and the pictures in the pictures and the, you know, my my PDFs that for the books that I buy all go into one folder. So now I know, generally speaking, where they, where I'm going to find them, right? So because huh. there's so many files on a, on a file system these days, right? That's yeah. true. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but that little you know the uh, the Sherlock is it called Sherlock the thing where you can the little magnifying glass spotlight, right? Spotlight, yeah. I hate spotlight. I can never find anything in spotlight. I always use the Find and Finder to this day, you know. So I only use Spotlight to launch apps. Oh yeah, it's a good idea. That's mm. all I use it for. Go ask Jaime. Alrighty. Yeah, I was just gonna go going to go there. Weren't we just talking to Jaime? No, we were talking about your your silly pick. Yeah, my pick. Ate up all the time. Jaime, do you have a pick? I do, and it is a post by Brendan Mulligan. Um, it's on uh, LaunchKit's site, and the, the context for this is, you know, at some point your app is going to get rejected by Apple's app review, right? And Mm -hmm. it's a moment of heartache and pain for folks. (laughs) And the worst possible thing is when they reject it and you're just thinking to yourself, what in the world? Like, it is so obvious what is going on here. What, how did they not know what was happening? Um, I think take a deep breath, step back and say, you know what? That's from your standpoint. That is something that you are very accustomed to and is very obvious to you. Right. Certainly, I'm guilty of the, my own blindness and not realizing that something I've been working on for the past 40 hours is uh, something I, you know, I am very intimately familiar with, and other people are not necessarily, right. and even more so for the app reviewers. And in this case, uh, they're talking about the big game changer for them in, in terms of reducing the likelihood of an app getting rejected for, you know, what appears to be a silly thing, mm-hmm. is using the notes box. So. Um, Apparently, and here's the the highlight in this uh, medium-looking article, it says, In conversations with some people at Apple, we've confirmed that app reviewers pay special attention to this box. It's not there for fun. It's there for you to communicate directly with the app reviewer and provide context for them to use in their review. Hmm. It's kind of funny, but that's that's sort of news to me. I just assumed it was there for giggles and grins. I (laughs) guess there's no possible way that they're actually really reading these things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever used that box. Yeah, so uh, if it's something that that might not be totally obvious to a reviewer, I'd say 
at least throw in something reasonable there. In, in this article, they talk about the fact that uh, there's a bit of a contentious guideline around, you know, if there's user-provided information, you know, photos, content in yeah. particular. Um, I, I know of some developers who have had their app rejected because it's like, oh, you don't have a content flagging process. And so they had to go in and add some stuff. And in this case, they say, no, 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 we actually do have a content flagging process. And they give an example of the note and and how they craft it for their particular app. And as they claim here in this article, that actually helped the reviewers. They say, oh, okay. You know, there's obvious big tick marks you know, on the some sort of review guideline sheet that the Apple reviewers use. <laughs> and apparently this one, like, oh, okay, great. That, that, that makes me feel good. And they went on. That's it. That's the tip there. Use the notes box. It's not there for grins. Can I ask you just on a side note here, what is a f- content flagging process? What do you mean by that? So let's say, for example, you are an app that lets people post a photo. Mm-hmm. Well, there's all sorts of objectionable things you might have, like, you know, um, illegal photos, like, you know, child pornography and other you know, drug references. Who knows what, right? Terrible things because right. you right. can't control what users are putting. So there is yeah. a guideline somewhere, and I'd have to go look through the guidelines and find it. But you have to have some sort of process to flag that content and deal with it. Oh, so so, so the app, the app provider, the the server host has to be able to look at the images that are being put up, or 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 you mean if they're in a public forum where other people can see them, kind of thing. So I don't think it would be required, and I'd have to again, I'd have to look at the guideline to do more than. Uh, this injustice to it but i'd assume that if this is just like oh i'm going to privately store these files there sure. isn't any real option right other than whatever might be illegal but if it's something where other people can see it so you know imagine anything imagine your social networks in particular right like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. facebook twitter pinterest instagram so forth you'll notice that somewhere in their app they have some sort of way to say hey this isn't cool Right. right? Yeah. This is yeah. illegal. This is racist. This is so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, for, so user accessible, right? Because think about the fact that an app store Sorry. reviewer <laughs> is going to have to be able to see this. Yeah. I thought so. he was pretty clear there, Tim. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, it, just imagine, again, let, let's look at something simple like Facebook. Yeah. If somebody posts, you know, nude photos of Jennifer Lawrence as an example. Mm-hmm. Right, you can imagine that would be rather offensive to many people beyond sure. just Miss Lawrence herself. Yeah, so I guarantee you, you can go into Facebook and say, "Hey, flag this as objectionable oh, content." Oh, inappropriate. Okay, yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. kind of. I've seen that often. Yep. Yeah. So again, I'm I'm real glad to know that this is something that Apple actually pays attention to. Um, in my own experience, there are many things on that forum that they do not. Um, mm. You can kind of tell because. Historically, I've been in groups where we create special accounts for Apple so we can know yes, when they're yeah. when they're logging in. And guess what? Nine to nine times out of a hundred, they never log in. <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and could, and in those cases, could you use the app without logging in? Yes, but in a very limited fashion. Right, right. Huh. I once had an app be rejected because well, metadata rejected because I hadn't provided an account. And then I provided an account, and then they never used it, and and, and accepted the app. Wow, <laughs> drives me crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It is a bit of a black box getting apps into into app review process. That's for sure. 
we've been rejected for the, the strangest reasons, you know. I think we got one we got rejected because they didn't like our video that we posted when the video, you know, the the App Store videos first came out. There was something about our video they didn't like, so we just took the video out and, and we had to resubmit, you know, as if we were sending a new binary in, which was dumb. Um, yeah, and then one time we had we we the magazine used to run contests, and because we hadn't put a disclaimer saying that Apple is no way connected to this contest, they rejected an app. Well, so I I was thought about putting this in as my pick, but then once we started talking about the show, I got even more uh, impetus to do so, and that was I just today was looking at um, a series of testing test series that Greg Hero, Greg Hero, our uh, sometimes co-host and friend of the show, um, did on RayWonderlic.com back in September. I think it was published, right? And it's something that I I've, I've breezed through a couple of the uh, videos uh, a while ago, but it's one of the video training series on testing, and he covers off. Uh, a number of subjects like you know basically just using XC test assert um, to test equality or, or check a boolean value that kind of stuff um, but he's also got some uh, runs and it's an introductory uh, um, level series um, he's also got um, a little bit of UI testing in there if people are curious about that um, as well, and there are some there were a couple of free uh, free video versions uh, free versions of this video if you want to go and have a quick peek at it if you're not a subscriber but uh, that would be my pick. I was sort of uh, wanted to get back. I did some testing back in the uh, Objective C days, but I hadn't really done much t- much testing in Swift, and so this was going through some of the new stuff and doing using testing with asynchronous calls and performance testing to get you know if you have a process that runs, you can set a timer on it, see how long it takes to run, and you can set a benchmark and see whether or not you're getting better or worse results. If you make a change in your code, you can check and see whether you're getting a better performance out of it. That kind of stuff. And then he's also got um, some basic uh, introductory stuff on using UI testing, which is a new coolness in, in iOS 9. There's a couple of videos on that as well. So that's, uh, that would be my pick, is Testing in iOS by Greg Heo. Can you trust that guy, though? I mean, that's a big question, right? Yeah, you, really, you know, he is kind of shifty, right? Shifty, yes. <laughs> always looking up and to the right. Yeah, not always, but yeah, often. Mm. So that's it. That's it for me. So, Aaron, if people want to look for you on the interwebs, where would they look? Let's go to Twitter, at Aaron Vey. All right. That's just, that's it, eh? That's it. All right. And Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs? They can find me and Manton Reese on Twitter as oh, yeah. Dev of the Hair. Manton is not at Dev of the Hair, but I am. What is Manton? Oh, he's, on, he's on Twitter now? Yeah, he came back. Uh, so oh. he made a bet about three years ago that he was yeah. never going to come back to Twitter. He did this week, at Manton, numeral two. Um is on Twitter now. Cool. The prodigal and, uh, son returns. we're all delighted to have him back. Prodigal son, yeah. <laughs> and Mark, if people want to find you on the interwebs or wherever. Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right, and you can find me on Twitter at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. You can find me on the Peach app as T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. <laughs> and you can also find me on my website, it-guy.com. And I think that's it for the week. So we'll see you guys next time. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hey, if you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. Hey, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you could also write a review on iTunes, that would be amazing. And if you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button now. I'll wait. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. 
The podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thank you so much for listening. Love you guys. Spoken to a few people who have the same problem with El Capitan, where it you know basically loses everything, and the only way around it is to restart. It's like there's a some weird you know Finder preferences bug or something. Are you talking about the Apple menu recent items? Yeah, it, it, it disappears in all of the apps. Like most of my apps, like I use Logic. I use a lot of Apple apps, like Logic and things like that. Oh, in where, the apps themselves, when they go yeah. file recent. Yeah, but it must be tied into something at the op- the operating system level because also in my Finder windows, the favorites disappear from the sidebar. Do you use do you use a sidebar and list course, view? Of course, yes. Yeah. So I mean, devices and shared and other stuff stay there, but just this whole like I've probably got like twenty different. I've got a whole bunch of different folders there stored, right? You got like twenty files in your favorites. No, 20, 20 folders. Yeah, that, folders. whatever. You yeah, got- like, you know, Dropbox, and um, I've got the podcast one. I've got one for a couple of apps that I work on regularly. Mm, I've got eight. I hope. Yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, desktop. I've got my documents folder for my my home folder. Yeah, I'll take Docker's. the point. You don't have to list them all. <laughs> yeah. But 20, but 20 is a I large have- number. So you're always scrolling that list. Yeah, and I'm always using it. So it's super frustrating. Like, I just rebooted now because I just didn't want to have any issues during the recording of the show. But, you know, just the whole concept of rebooting my computers is just, like, so un-Unix-like, you know? Did you zap the PRAM, Tim? Yeah, I've done all that stuff. I've did, gone you, down um, those did you rebuild your desktop? <laughs> <laughs> did you um, restart without extensions on? I mean, what is it? I know. Maybe I should check the battery in the back and see, maybe the battery's not... It could be the battery, yep. Yep, because I've had to replace a few batteries in my LCs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those big honking ones, right? They're not, they look like double A's, but they're super, super double A's. Yeah. 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 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.